WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The game is focusing on the, the human dimension of the climate crisis, like in terms of our relationships with each other and how that'll help us deal with it. Hi, this is Universe of Art, a podcast from Science Friday and WNYC Studios about artists who use science to take their creations to the next level. I'm Science Friday producer D. Peter Schmidt. So it's climate week, at least here in New York. There's a bunch of events happening all over the city, and they're all aimed at encouraging conversation and participation and action around our climate crisis. And I'll just say off the bat, it's tough listening to reporting around this topic. Same goes for me. It can be really heavy and discouraging. So when the team here at Science Friday, when we think about how to communicate information around this topic, we try to do it in a way that focuses on solutions or just allows for an opportunity to process our feelings around it. And art can be a cathartic vehicle to do exactly that. So I've got two stories for y'all today. The first is a segment from last year about this really cool indie video game collective I found out about. They're called IndieCade, and among other things, they host a game-making competition every year called the Climate Jam, where participants make games about climate change solutions in under a week. And I spoke to the organizer and the winning team made up entirely of college students about their game and what they wanted to accomplish with it. And me and Ira even played through a little bit of it, too. And after that, I have an interview I did a few months back with acclaimed folk musician and independent scholar Daniel Bachman. His latest album is this reflection on the extreme weather events that have happened over the last few years in his home state of Virginia. And it's somehow an oddly calming listening experience. And I also just loved hearing how he incorporated his own field recordings into the music and learning about his research into Appalachian oral history and how he connected it to the current climate moment we're living in. All that said, I appreciate y'all listening. So first, here's me and Science Friday host Ira Flato talking about IndieCade's Climate Game Jam. Before we start, I asked Ira if he'd heard about Game Jams before. A game jam? I, I don't think so. Okay. Have you heard of something called a hackathon? That I have heard about. Okay. So, yeah, you're working on a team to make something, in this case, like a video game in a very short amount of time. And there's this one that I found out about called the Climate Jam. It's put on by this organization called IndieCade. And the goal of this jam is to make games about climate change. Our goal of having a climate jam has always been to have climate solutions mm. and to be positive. Like we're not looking for some kind of like death and destruction jam. So that was Stephanie Barish. She's the CEO of IndieCade. And she and some other partners started the climate jam five years ago. We're really interested in challenging our community to create something that could potentially make a positive difference. Most people at that time were just so negative about climate, like it was doom and destruction. And I thought, wow, the, to make positive change, you have to really look at this from 
a solutions perspective. All right. She says you have to look at it from a solutions perspective. So you make a game. Have we got a game that won? Yeah, I want to I know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, so the game that won is called Row, and we're actually going to play together. Ooh, all right, let's do that. But before we go, since this is brand new to me, you got to give me a hint of what, what the game is all about. Okay, all right. So basically, Row's set in a future where the effects of climate change are a lot more exaggerated. Drought is a much bigger problem. There are these um, two neighboring cities, and when it stops raining... One city builds a dam to hoard all the water, and it leaves the other one in a pretty tough spot. So there's drought. People are getting sick because of dehydration, including your character's grandmother, and the other city is unwilling to share the water. So your character takes a rowboat to get some fresh water from the other city to get your grandma healthy again. But the rains suddenly start again with a vengeance, and a huge flood ends up submerging and destroying both cities in like kind of the middle of your journey. So... Through all of this, you have to become rowing partners with someone from the other city who's basically your enemy, and you have to work together to survive. So, yeah, let's get started. Should I uh, should I hit the play button on there? Yeah, or... let's let's go ahead and hit play. Okay. I see it says, welcome to your rowboat. Okay, now I'm rowing. Oh, well, that was a good stroke. I see how to do this. Yeah. You take shorter strokes. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. Oh, really? Whoa, I'm going zipping across. <laughs> Wait, there's another item. It's a fun game. This is a fun game. All right, so we're going to put down our oars for a second. We'll come back to the game later, but I just wanted to tell you about some of the other games that were made for the Climate Jam this year. So there's one called Denial Network, and in that one you play as a group of activists fighting against climate change misinformation. There's another called Change Waker, uh, where you play as a cute little sentient blob sailing around an archipelago helping uh, other cute little sentient blobs solve environmental problems impacting their islands. And sometimes Stephanie says these games actually break outside the boundaries of the jam. Last year, a group did a game about garbage collection and recycling, and they ended up going to their city government and creating a game for the city based on the prototype they had created. And having social impact isn't the only unique thing about the climate jam. When you join this game jam, you don't just have access to people who can help you make the game. We have people who are content experts. I'm Dargan Frierson. I'm a professor of atmospheric sciences at University of Washington. So Dargan was actually one of these content experts, and he was also a mentor and a judge for the jam. We always look for scientific accuracy. I think it's very important to keep things within the realm of possibility, even when you're looking at fiction. Having science mentors as part of our jams is completely unique. Most jams, honestly, aren't about serious topics. When you have a serious topic, you try and bring in experts. In this case, when people are making games, they really need to understand the information. They, they need to understand you know, how wind turbines work or what the real situation is for sea creatures. You get a lot of uh, pretty off-the-wall questions. They're questions like, what would climate change be like on a different planet? We're just trying to make sure that the games are as accurate as possible. Probably most folks who were listening were like me and thought that most games were sort of violent-oriented. <laughs> but there is this growing movement of folks making games for social change. 
we're trying to sort of acknowledge that we humans as a species play one of the biggest roles in causing the climate crisis. And at the same time, we also hold the key to solving it. So I also talked to Jay McGregor. He's a film production student at USC and part of a team of seven who worked on the game. And he was one of its narrative designers. The game is focusing on the the human dimension of the climate crisis, like in terms of our relationships with each other and how that'll help us deal with it. I love that immediately with Roe, you're thrust into this very cinematic situation with a lot of drama. And you're clearly a very impoverished community that, as it turns out, has been dealing with environmental justice threats. And uh, that on top of just gameplay, that's pretty fun rowing. You know, it's, it's really fun just to move your boat slowly and steadily. It gives you time to ponder the deepness of the narrative. Okay, so there's this feature uh, in the game Ira called the trust meter. So I think that's on your screen right now. Can you read those instructions? The trust meter measures the level of trust between you and Nico. The value affects how easily you're able to row with him. Oh, so we have to row together. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's going to be these moments where you have to make a decision through different dialogue options you get or actions you take that'll affect your uh, trust level with your enemy, Nico. So what's your level of trust with him right now? 80 Two percent. Oh, nice. I have been choosing some other dialogue options. I'm at like 45% right now. <laughs> Ultimately, the idea of that was like the way you interact with each other either increases your ability to cooperate or can entrench the level of animosity between you two. And if you guys don't trust each other as much, you guys are going to go slower because you're going to be in sync and you have to kind of try hard to work together. And so if you make a choice that increases the trust between you and Nico, you can build human capital, which is an important resource to escape the crisis you guys are in. So I've known about the Climate Jam for a couple of years. And before I fully played through it, I was kind of surprised a game like Row that on its face, really leans into these classic climate dystopian themes, won the grand prize for a competition that's focused on climate optimism and solutions. So uh, I asked Jay why his team wanted to focus on dystopia so much. Yeah, it's kind of doom and gloom with the whole dystopia world. But at the same time, I think if you just stay in that place of just feeling hopeless, it can often translate into apathy which I can see a lot among people who are my age because it's such a daunting thing. And so we wanted to go through that emotion of feeling hopeless, but then having conflict occurred that would make people have to change in some way. We can't really solve this issue of the climate crisis without some form of like collective action. And then in order to have collective action, that requires us to work with each other, including those that we might not necessarily agree with. And so hopefully, I think that's the power of video games. They have a very sort of interactive, participatory element to them that like can not only change people at an intellectual level in terms of making them aware of these issues, but also can touch people at an emotional level. And I think that's a powerful thing. Roe is kind of dystopian in certain ways, but the fact that they ultimately create a situation where opposing characters can connect and have to work together is an incredible statement. And they 
bury you deeply into that antagonism that's going on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really effective. And I think those are the tools that narrative games really give you to work with. Yeah. I think it's so important because, gosh, don't we live in a world where it's very hard to cross the aisle and work together? We all do kind of have a common cause. And if there's ways, even in our differences, that we can work together towards it, that's how we'll have a bright and beautiful future. Well, I think this is an interesting game to play with kids, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So then you could have a discussion about hopefulness and making decisions about your future and who, who do you trust and how to trust people. Because, yeah, a lot of things we see are dystopian and a lot of things that are happening now make you think that the future is going to be dystopic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, maybe this is a kind of game that you can have a, as a teaching opportunity to play with kids. And maybe it, uh, they can talk out their fears by playing this game. Did, what did you feel right. about the, you know, being on the raft or, or, or surviving or making a choice of who to save? Yeah. And, you know, I know not everyone plays video games. Not everyone's going to get a chance to play these. But there is something Dargan said about why he thinks this matters. And I thought it was a great point. As a climate scientist, I spend a lot of time just looking at data, computer model simulations and You see a lot of red dots meaning drought or really strong rainfall events. But I think to see that through artistic eyes, you realize how much story there is behind any of those data points, behind any kind of extended drought. There's always going to be winners and losers and those fighting over Mm -hmm. scarce resources. And then the approaching flood in this game also is just really dramatic makes you think that all data should be analyzed with an artistic eye in that way. And that kind of reminded me of uh, what you just said about kids talking about their fears, playing through them. It's like basically the appeal of a horror movie, to me at least. You're able to like experience these kind of intense emotions in a controlled, safe environment uh, and have a little removed from it and maybe process them in a way you wouldn't be able to if you were too close to it. Yeah. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I, you know, I'm going to play it again. Can I, can I play it again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm going to try the other options to see what happens. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, well, other people can play Row and the other games from this year's Climate Jam. And you can even listen to a song that Dargan wrote and sang about his love of science, uh, which is amazing. That's all at our website at sciencefriday.com slash games. Yeah, thanks again, Ira. Up next, folk musician Daniel Bachman tells us about his recent climate-influenced album called Almanac Behind. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Universe of Art. I'm D. Peter Schmidt. I'm back with a conversation with musician Daniel Bachman about his latest album, Almanac Behind, and the extreme weather events that inspired it. And I'm going to start things off with the first track on the album, 540 Supercell. Daniel Bachman is an acclaimed folk musician and independent scholar. We're here to talk about his new album, Almanac Behind, a blend of Appalachian folk music and audio collages documenting the effects of extreme weather and climate change that's affected his home region of Central Virginia. Daniel Bachman, welcome to Science Friday. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. 
Can you tell me about what happened in your personal life that made you want to make an album like this? Yeah, sure. So uh, some people out there might remember last January, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Maryland, this region got a, a really heavy, wet snow that was really uncharacteristic for our region. It was destroying power infrastructure and closing roads. And uh, it shut down Interstate 95. People were trapped in their cars. It was really bad. So the very first field recordings and ideas for this kind of came from that first storm. A lot of the wind sounds and hail and sleet. And then um, kind of had the idea, you know, okay, I'm going to document everything that we experience through the end of this uh, record process. Yeah. Why did you think it was necessary to have field recordings to communicate the message of the album? Uh, well, you know, it's it's tough working in the confines of traditional Western instruments, you know, whether it be banjo or guitar or even piano and stuff, you're kind of bound to a certain harmonic range that only expresses so much emotion, you know. And so hmm. when you get into these deep problems that we face, I feel sometimes that you lose the weight of these events if you're just simply trying to play a minor or major scale or, <laughs> you know, things like that. But in order to really convey the power of these events, you know, when you hear rushing water or, you know, like hard driving rain, I really thought that using the field recordings intentionally, you know, it's this is something that people can from all over the world hopefully could relate to, you know, these sounds are inherent to our experience living on Earth. And uh, it just happens, you know, that I'm just, you know, interested in folk cultures and history and that's my vehicle for it. Yeah. Appalachia has this incredibly rich history of of not just storytelling, but passing those stories down. And as you've mentioned, you've done quite a bit of your own historical research on the cultures and folklore of Virginia and its music. Can you talk a bit about that work and if you wanted Almanac Behind to be in conversation with that history and tradition? Yeah, there, there's a tradition of documenting events and especially natural disasters in folk music. Charlie Patton has High Water Everywhere. There's Dry Well Blues. Uncle Dave Macon has Tennessee Tornado. You know, so yeah, I was definitely aiming for that energy creating this piece. You know, I kind of wanted it to be a contemporary document of these events. It's, it, it's definitely abstract, you know, but I do like to think that it does kind of fall in line um, in that history. Music. Yeah. I mean, it's abstract, but even though the subject matter is pretty dark, mm -hmm. to me at least, it, it was very calming to listen to. I've listened to the album a few times, and you weave emergency radio broadcast transmissions into the album, and then like you follow them up with solo meditative banjo. How did you think about balancing really intense and kind of maybe like diametrically opposed emotions on this? Yeah, well, there's a lot of waiting in these events. The time between when, you know, you learn over the radio broadcasts or whatever, how you hear about these things coming, there's a calmness, you know, that you almost feel. Even if they do hit like a train, you can see them coming. And I was hyper aware of weather while I was documenting it. You know, I had my field recorder by the front door and, you know, at any time that we were going to have weather that was going to produce a good audio sample, I was, you know, ready to go out there and stuff. It was pretty wild to, to put this thing together. Yeah. I read that you involved your friends and family to help you gather the sounds on this album. It felt good to bring family and friends in it. I did ask my friend Will Thornton, who's a sound artist from Fredericksburg, if he could contribute some of his flood recordings. So in 
the section where you hear the waters rising and electrical lines snapping and stuff, that's actually the sound of um, five major rivers in Virginia at flood stage all at once. A friend of mine, Zef Mann, actually made a computer program that renders photographs into wave files. And forest fires are becoming increasingly common in the um, middle Appalachians here. So I took photographs of different weather events of Old Rag Mountain here in Madison County with a red sun setting behind it from wildfire smoke and then completely rearrange the pixels and you get a new thing out of it. Can you tell me about the sort of cyclical nature of this album? Yeah, the the album actually plays on a loop. Um, if you listen to it through um, and you have it on repeat, it um, starts with wind blowing through chimes on our front porch. And as, you know, the cleanup efforts are happening, Towards the end of the record, you can hear the chimes um, and the wind picking up again, kind of hinting at, you know, that this is um, a repeating cycle, you know, that we're entering. And if I can quote Professor Bill McGuire's um, new book, Hot House Earth, he suggests, you know, that we might not be uh, experiencing extreme weather anymore, but simply just weather. You know, these events are increasing the norm. So that's that's kind of what I was getting at, you know, with the the looping nature of the record. You know, one of the things without getting too far out that I actually really liked about working on this record is that it did feel like I was working collaboratively with non-human partners. You know, just being with these weather events, working with them to create a piece of art. That's the energy that I like. You know, that is is making me feel better in these times a little bit. You know, working with these forces in the earth instead of constantly trying to, you know, push them away or whatever. Totally, I love that idea. What do you hope people take away after listening to Almanac Behind? Well, uh, currently, you know, how we talk about climate change, I think there's a real tendency in the U.S. right now to kind of put it off. But, you know, we we really are seeing these drastic earth changes happen constantly all over the globe. And so I made this album, you know, as a way for me to kind of participate in climate activism that I see other people doing that I'm really inspired about and just you know, hope that it serves as a, a document. But um, yeah, this is the way that I feel that I can best participate in raising awareness of, you know, what's happening to our earth. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I really recommend people check out the album. If you go to our site, you can watch the film that accompanies Almanac Behind. Uh, that's at sciencefriday.com slash climate songs. Daniel, thank you so much for your time and, and thank you for the album. It's really special. Well, thank you so much too. This is such a pleasure. That was Daniel Bachman, musician and independent scholar. Universe of Art is hosted and produced by me, D. Peter Schmidt, and I also wrote the music. Our show art is illustrated by Abel Hayford, and support for Science Friday science and arts coverage comes from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Also, if you have an idea for a future episode of Universe of Art, you can send us an email or a voice memo to universe at sciencefriday.com. We'll be back in two weeks. See ya.